Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lecturing-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics can appear in our preaching this week. My name is Annie McMillan and I'm a Methodist deacon and I'm currently based at Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. As a deacon, I'm a part of the Methodist Diaconal Order, a religious order, which shapes uh, my life. I taught religious education and ethics before I came into ministry at a secondary school uh, in Oxfordshire. I am really passionate about coming alongside people where they are and journeying with them as they discern God at work in their lives. Each week on this podcast, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and the political landscape. And today I'm really pleased to introduce the Reverend Dr. Tessa Henry Robinson. Welcome, Tessa, to the podcast. It's a joy to have you with us. Thank you. It's good Uh, to be here. Great, thanks for having me. Uh, Tessa is a Minister of the Word and the Sacraments in the United Reformed Church. She is a Moderator-Elect of the General Assembly in the URC and to be inducted in the role on the 3rd of July in 2023. She's an Associate Tutor at Westminster College in Cambridge and a womanist practical theologian who is interested in the empowerment of global majority communities, uh, women in particular. She is a member of the editorial boards of the Journal of Practical Theology and the International Journal of Black Theology. As I said, welcome Tessa, we're delighted to have you with us on the podcast today. We know that politics in the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic sometimes, uh, but we believe that it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. So when you hear arguments of people saying that politics shouldn't form part of our preaching, how do you respond to that? Well, good morning. And with the idea of keeping politics out of the pulpit, uh, I would say it probably sounds like a moral argument to those who argue that point. But in my thinking, it can only be moral if you're keeping out the divisiveness and the potential for widening cracks in society and the harmful us and them rhetorics that politicians tend to use to single themselves out as different and better than. And so it is only moral to keep party politics, I would say, out. And, you know, that penchant for othering that comes with it. Keep that out of the the pulpit, as it is not helpful to people who come to church with real life challenges and issues to tackle. They come with those things on their minds. And, And sometimes... We live in, I mean, I want to say people, we in church live in, in a kind of bubble and bringing issues can be the thing that opens people's eyes and minds, those people sitting in the pews. And this can be life-saving for those people in society who are affected by, you know, the, the, the political issues. And who are we then as ministers and people who speak from the pulpit if we are not able to to think around real issues, to think around the things that affect people on a day-to-day basis. And so grappling with what scripture says on a variety of topics, including justice and economics and anti-racist practices, uh, you know, sexuality, same-sex marriage, all of these things, what it is, is it to be trans in, in, in today's society? And so when I refer to politics, I'm not talking about dividing ourselves into Tories and Labour's and Green Party and Lib Dems and all of that. That is limited and limiting. I'm talking about public affairs, things that affect people. And so 
I want to know if I'm applying scriptural principles to how I live wherever I am in the world. And that's really helpful. Thank you so much, Tessa, that um, bursting that church bubble. I love that imagery, yeah. Acknowledging where people really are and living and the issues they're grappling with. Thank you, and that's really helpful. Uh, So from your context then, what would you want us to hear as key justice or political issues that we need to be grappling with, to use your language? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I have to think about who, who am I? I'm a black woman who grew up in, a, in in Trinidad and Tobago, which is outside of the UK. So right away, I am dealing with issues of otherness, othering. So I want to deal, you know, I, I, I'm, I am sort of inspired to, to deal with issues that have to do with gender, racism, othering in, in, of, of people, you know, who, who are God's people too. You know, we, um, we, let's say church people, have a, um, a difficulty sometimes in including people. We could always tell you who is not, you know, we can always sort of, we don't say it out loud, but certain people are left out of that, that circle of who could be a good Christian, as it were. And so those are the issues that I, I want to tackle. They're broader, they're justice issues. Well, thank you so much. Well, hopefully we'll be able to touch on some of those things in our conversation today. Well, uh, each week I ask my JPIC colleagues at Home Roundup for um, their expertise and what they think we might want to be keeping an eye on in the world this week. Uh, and they've suggested that this week we might want to just be aware that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is under pressure to launch an investigation on whether Suella Braverman broke the ministerial code by requesting a private speed awareness course, speaks into your uh, party politics and politics more broadly question perhaps, and that despite Russian claims that they have taken the city of Bakhmud, uh, Russian uh, Ukraine's President Zelensky is declaring that it's not occupied, so being aware of what's going on in Ukraine at the moment is still ongoing, um, obviously war in that part of the world. This Sunday, 28th of May, is Pentecost Sunday, of course. And so our readings for this week are Psalm 104, verses 24 to 34 and 35b, Acts 2, 1 to 21, 1 Corinthians 12, 3b to 13, and John 20, 19 to 23. So with our metaphorical newspapers open one hand, uh, let's turn to Mm -hmm. our and so, Tessa, I think we're going to start with the Acts passage today. Is that right? Is that where you want to begin? Yes, yes, we are. And I, I like this whole idea, you know, about a rush of wind. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's dramatic, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yes, it's a very, you can almost picture it, can't you, happening? Yeah. So, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm trying to picture what what these, these things looked like. Yeah, yeah. So were there any uh, particular um, themes or um, ideas of preaching that jumped out to you from the Acts reading? Yes, I mean, let me just put put, put it in this way. I'm going to just let it flow out. A mm-hmm. rush of wit interprets the strategic plans and negotiators, you know, they, they scramble to escape. You know, think about that then voices rise in such a way that seems to threaten those plans. Well, who are those voices? Those are the voices of the marginalized, right? 
voices and languages that the rushing wind brought in. And there was now no way of, of escaping that those voices belong. These voices are included in God's plan. And the bad news, I would say, is that some would hasten to dismiss those voices. And I think that's, that's a reflection of what, what is happening in society. It, it, that's a reflection of how we go about marginalizing people and putting ourselves at the center. And, and I think fear has a lot to do with it. Those who were fearful, as some people in society, you know, become when different voices begin talking truth to power, is to dismiss those voices as disruptors who are not right thinking and who are likely inebriated. Hence, labeling becomes the pattern. Oh, those people, they are, they are drunk. Those people lack in understanding. You know, so it's, it's this, you know, it's about othering people. And I think this, this text helps to, to, to start tackling issues of othering and marginalization and, and, and who's speaking, who's in, whose voice is in and whose voice is, is out. And somebody like Suella, you know, she is able to, to use her status, you know, to try to use her status to get around all of the, you know, the issues that we, uh, the public have to deal with, you know, but um, I think this, this is a helpful text in, in sort of looking at, at the issues that we are actually dealing with in society. Um, yeah, on a Sunday morning. So I wonder, I wonder who are the people who who we do other that we do up marginalize today in society that we might well, want. To you know, I mean, there's a list, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and of course that list will will begin differently with with people because we are coming from different places. Even though we are ministers, you know, many of us ministers of the word, some of, of the cloth, we would have, we would start that list differently. I would, pro I would say that um, global majority women, our voices are, are, are stifled, our voices need to come in a little bit, I mean, you know, pay attention to, let's put it this way. And, and so um, I would put black women at the top of the list, you know, and then we have people who are trans, who are, you know, people who identify themselves differently. These are the people who are marginalized and and and, and subdued in, in, in my estimation. Thank you so much. Yeah. And as you say, we each come from our own perspective, don't we? So um, people might put different want to put different people on that list, but mm -hmm. who is marginalised um, and whose voices, yeah. um, as you say, this text allows a way into that perhaps, which is very helpful. Anything anything else on, on this text to pull out? Uh, yes, I think in this, in this text, it demonstrates that some people understand, you know, they understood, they understand the importance of listening to and speaking other people's languages. Yeah. There was that suggestion that there would be no hierarchies of holiness. Everyone had been given the gift of the spirit. 
you know, so that, you know, it, it was across the board. And the good news is that reading that men and women are part of this group, you know, some in the Bible, many, you know, books of the Bible tend to leave the women out. <laughs> yes. So women, <laughs> women are included as part of the followers, the group of followers whom the Holy Spirit, you know, upon whom the Holy Spirit descended. And that women are even mentioned in this uh, is good news. Mm. And as, as a matter of fact, some people, some commentators say that Pentecost, the, the gathering was a 120 strong. I, they didn't say how many men and how many women, but I would imagine that women were amongst them in good number. Yeah. I love that phrase, no hierarchies of holiness. I think that's a wonderful mm. to try and, um, grasp onto what that might mean and whether we really live that out in the life of our churches. So, um, I remember the Reverend uh, Helen Cameron when I was at college used to say, who do we let touch the holy things? You know, there's a question mm. of who do we allow uh, into the spheres of holiness in our churches? And perhaps that's a question we might want to grapple with. I suppose that in this passage, um, what is good is that the Holy Spirit is at the centre there's no, I mean, there's talk of Peter, who, you know, he, he made a, a speech, and there's, there's, there's uh, Paul, but the Holy Spirit is at the center of this story. So it does not land on any one particular person. We see, yes, Peter, who has, he's not known for being a public speaker, and he was inspired by the Spirit to speak with great confidence. And he drew on Job and Psalms, you know, to, to, to talk about, I mean, to talk to the people. And it was reported that 3,000 people accepted his message that, that day. So who, 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 you know, how can we single out who is, you know, who is to touch the holy things? If the holy things touch so many people, then Peter goes on to heal someone he healed someone who was living with restricted mobility. And, and when he, he saw the crowd, he was inspired again to deliver another sermon. So here we are, people in the fold, you know, being touched by the spirit, touched by holiness. The bad news in the text is that the religious leaders caused the arrest and imprisonment of both Peter and John, who was with him. And they were then questioned by the assembly um, you know, a tribunal. Yeah. But the focus of chapter two that I'm looking at is on the gift of the Holy Spirit that shows up outside the walls of the place that we would expect it. It was not, it didn't show up in the, the temple or the, you know, it showed up outside. So it right away we get the 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 understanding that the spirit cannot be contained and is not limited to those who are accustomed to to being in the holy space and yeah and so god's heart beat for justice in the way i read acts 2 is that god does not eliminate other languages nor you know god is not singling out any any particular languages over and above and not you know, and there's no commonality in one language. Instead, 
the disciples are gifted with the ability to speak other languages. And this is of great benefit, not only to those who are gifted with receiving the message, it is also a gift to them who delivered the message. Yes, there's a real joy in that diversity that's being celebrated there, isn't it? As you say, they're not all given the gift of all being able to speak the same language so they can understand each other. I mean, that, you know, in our very human understanding of things, that might be what we might have expected. But now God says, actually, the joy is in the diversity, in the speaking many languages. That's what what my joy is in. And that's a message in there for for us, isn't there? What if we can get really what if we could really get there as as church because there's you know there's so much going on really that that is saying that we are not there yet yeah i wonder if we wanted to name any of the things that mean we're not there yet i mean yeah look i mean who are we if we are not god's people all of us everyone every breathing being And many, and we, we, you know, those of us who call ourselves Christians are not only straight people, those of us who have been called to ministry are not only straight people. (laughs) I mean, that's very definite. But who is to decide on someone's happiness? Why is it that I could get married to my husband and be a minister? And to, you know, marry other people when other people have to, you know, when when someone is saying to somebody, well, then um, if you if you are gay, you cannot marry. You cannot marry if you are to be. And those are the kinds of things, you know, across denominations, not all denominations, but people are dealing with as ministers and, and, and people of the word. And so that's just one of the things I could I could actually, you know, uh, bring out that is particularly divisive at this point. Yes, we just had a a report um, done within the Methodist Church has been leaked to the newspapers around women and misogyny in the church and how that is still a a battle that's going on about how women are treated in the life of the church. And I might want to, as a Methodist, I might want to name that, that that's something that we still need to tackle within the church um, around how we treat uh, women, uh, as equals to men in the in the broadest sense in the life of the church. Yes. But there's another layer to that as well. And 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 that is how we um see women who are not white. Yeah. There is you know that's a, there's another layer to that because then you you're struggling with the whole issue of how you are treated as a woman and then you add you add, you know, uh, ethnicity on top of that, or you add sexuality on top of that, or you add, you know, how you identify yourself differently, you know, uh, on top of that. And so we are constantly othering each other, constantly saying you're different from me, and therefore you need to stand back a little. Yeah. And these are the these are the problems, um, um, you know, I have with with you know keeping politics out of the pulpit, because I think these are issues that we need to be able to deal with. I think they can be life-changing and life-saving if we can find ways to to deal with this and let people who have 
felt marginalized for most of their lives know that these issues are important to God and are important to us, uh, you know, as ministers. Yeah, I think that's incredibly powerful, Tessa. And um, uh, and how the, the Acts passage allows a way in to um, addressing some of those things and saying, actually, as you said, the spirit comes to everybody equally. You know, that's not a reserved holiness for some. Um, I think that's a very powerful way into that good news. Yeah, and it's not only people, Christians who the Holy Spirit will, you know, approach and descend on. And it is the image on this day of Pentecost, you know, uplifting the practical nature of the benefit of speaking other people's languages. How do I speak your language? I get to know you. I get to understand you. That's how I, 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 I begin to speak your language so that we can both understand each other. And we need to bring that because that is what brought the church into being, isn't it? That whole idea of languages and people hearing and hearing their language and speaking their language and understanding each other, that birthed the church. It brought the church into being. And so why is it that we're struggling with that? I think that question is such a wonderful question. How do I speak your language? Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think that's been really full conversation on Acts passage. I don't know if there's anything else from the Acts passage that um that you had wanted to bring out that we've not touched on uh, in this conversation so far. May I need to say that the church was never meant to be a private gathering of people who think and act like each other, because the very foundation of the faith is bound up with expressions of faith, different ones, different languages. And from birth, Christianity embraces, and uh, as an intrinsic to its identity, it's multiple ways of being. It's many voices, it's many languages, it's diverse figures of speech, and it's, it's, it's multiple worldviews. And so that is why I am a Christian, because that is what I am hoping to be part of, and I know every day is, you know, we can't just walk into something and expect it to be. We have work to do. And I think that's my work, part of the work that I, I want to do. Thank you so much for that, that kind of real sense of, of who you are and bringing that into our conversation. Uh, did we want to touch on any of the other passages at all? Uh, the gospel, perhaps? I, you know, I think I would, I would, I would stick to the Acts reading and, and think that. Um, well, it is Pentecost after all. So. <laughs> I'm looking forward to you know getting a, a larger understanding of what Pentecost, you know, could mean as we go forward as church into the world because it is you know the, the beginning. And, and I don't know if it would be the end, but I think it will be, you know, this whole business of us being people who understand each other, who, um, you know, want to relate with each other in, in ways that are helpful and life-giving and life-sharing would be part of our identity. I think 
our identity as Christians is important, but we, we need to recognize that we are there's no one way of being Christian. Yeah, and that ties in with what you were saying earlier, that we all have multiple identities. Um, you know, we're not, you know, not just a woman or a man or gay or straight or you know, we, we hold multiple identities together and hopefully being Christian as an identity is the center of of who we are. Well, I can think what sorry. No, go I on. Think, what if, you know, um there was someone who's you know really struggling with their life and and walked into um a church service on a Sunday morning, was welcomed, and they heard a message like that that they are part of, of, of God's plan. What if they heard that? I'm, I'm thinking that that is what you know, the stuff of, of preaching should be about. Well, I, I don't think there's any greater place to finish than there. I think absolutely that message that um, all are welcomed and that they have a place in the gospel. And that's a wonderful message. So uh, Reverend Dr. Tessa Henry Robinson, thank you so much for coming with us uh, this week and sharing your wisdom and your reflections on that passage today. We really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody else who's joined us this week uh, to ask that question of whether and how we should be preaching politics in our pulpits this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We do have some online spaces where you can further engage with this discussion on faith and politics. You can find us on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics, or you can use the hashtag politics in the pulpit. Uh, there's also a Facebook group, which you can access through the Facebook page of the Joint Public Issues team. And of course, don't forget, there's the website, jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. And the question that we're leaving you with from this week's reading is uh, not to limit the Holy Spirit, and how can we speak one another's languages? And so let's go into our pulpits uh, this week with a blessing. May the advocate God's Holy Spirit, sent in Christ's name, teach us and remind us of Christ's words. Do not let our hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Christ's peace go with you. Christ's peace that the world cannot take away be with you. Christ's peace and the Spirit's presence remain with you always. Amen.